This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Yes, check it out. Welcome, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The House List. Yes, it's my weekly podcast. My name is Peter Agostin. I'm the host and producer of the show. Thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time uh, checking this out, I appreciate it. Uh, you can find the house list on iTunes, the Stitcher app, Google Play. It's on SoundCloud, too. For those that listen on a desktop computer or a laptop or whatever, you can find it at soundcloud.com backslash the house list podcast. I'm also on Twitter at houselesspod. Okay, so I did that stuff. Um, we have a pretty incredible episode today. And um trying to figure out where to start here because... Uh, um, my guest and I had been sort of in communication for, for months, uh, about doing this and, um, you know, like any kind of, uh, guest, uh, sometimes it takes a while to find the right time. And, uh, we finally made it happen. And I went out to Long Island and I did it, uh, uh, on Long Island, um, with my guest, Michael Alec. Yes, the one and only Michael Alec is our guest on the house list for this episode. And we had a, a great conversation. Uh, his friend and, I guess, co-worker at one point in time uh, also joined us. We were at her home. She was very gracious to, to let me um, do it there. And... Her name is Jane. Hi, Jane. Thank you again for uh, setting this up. So I'll put it in this kind of way. Let me frame it to you in a certain way. I uh, wanted to do this specifically to talk about old clubs, defunct clubs in New York City and Michael's years, uh, early years as a, a party organizer, a show promoter, if you will, and the stuff that falls under that banner. And also his work and time at Project X magazine, which was, uh, I found to be a really imperative and um, pretty cutting edge nightlife zine magazine print publication that ran um, for from the late 80s into the basically to the early mid 90s. And as that magazine evolved uh, so did the surrounding nightlife culture of New York City and uh, and as you would see as the magazine evolved more and altered you would see how that resonated uh, well outside of the island of Manhattan and into other uh, major cities in, in North America and all over the world and with the like the boom of sort of rave culture and in 90s fashion um uh exploding in mtv and like club mtv and this like sort of commercial commodification of it uh 
there's just a lot of points of reference that I find very fascinating. I didn't focus uh, on any kind of well-worn territory or any kind of controversial footnotes or anything. In fact, you know, there's uh, that's clearly been covered time and time again. There's um, really like a good four or five full feature length films that you can find and watch if you like. Now, for those that might not be familiar with, with Michael, um, and I, and I assume that there, there definitely are some people that aren't, um, knowing who, even who this is. They're just like, wait, who, who's this dude that, that's, uh, that Peter's talking to? Well, if you ever saw the movie Party Monster, which came out in 2003, Macaulay Culkin and Seth Green were in, um, the, the character whom Macaulay Culkin was playing is based off of uh, my guest on the podcast today. Um, and Party Monster, of course, is also the title of a documentary that came out in 1998 as well that has definitely uh, a huge cult following. And even last, uh, two years ago, really, there was another sort of almost like a follow-up to to the Party Monster documentary called uh, Glory Days, The Life and Times of Michael Alec. So, yeah, and, and even there's the limelight too. the the infamous club um, that's part of a network of clubs that were that was owned by Peter Gation um, in the 90s, late 80s and mid to the mid 90s. Um, there's a documentary that came out 2011 uh, there. So there's a lot of visual stuff. If you never if you are unfamiliar with my guest to go back on and and I implore you to uh, they're pretty fascinating films but that's not really exactly what i was going there to talk about we didn't really talk about the club kids you know um or anything beyond just trying to get a sense of shows and invitations and conceptualizing stuff so we had this kind of frenetic conversation as he pulled out several boxes of of invites, which you'll see, I continuously call flyers over and over and over. But I think that's just part of my vernacular as a booking agent, as a show promoter myself. Um, I always call them flyers. But what I guess what Michael did, and what a lot of other promoters, I guess, if you will, of the time did, especially with these outlaw parties, which were roving, you know, events that happened in outside or inside spaces that weren't traditional clubs uh yeah you had to be invited and it was to kind of create a a groundswell to get people out so yeah so i wanted to talk about that stuff because there's not a lot of documentation from on his angle because obviously there's a lot of controversy that that that's always been focused on but when you start getting into that world a little bit more and you start and, and the project X uh, zine and, and the history of that, there's a whole cast of characters um, that, and many of which are not with us today anymore. Um, and some are, but uh, there's some really great artists and performance artists and, and, and fixtures of that scene. And uh, I wasn't there for, for that. I wasn't in New York in the early nineties, in the late eighties, early nineties. So a lot of that, I'm just trying to, to uncover some of those stories, too. So there's, like, imperative promoters like Vito Bruno, who, you know, obviously predates um, uh, 
lot of this, but was instrumental, especially in the outlaw parties. And then you have like, of course, the club kids are are kind of infamous, have uh, infamy, and and for some people, they were polarizing people uh, to certain people in the audience. But then there was like these like really interesting performance artists like Lee Bowery, whom, I, whom I'm pretty fascinated with, who's who passed in the '90s. Um, Nelson Sullivan too was a, a videographer of, of that time, who's also who also passed in the '90s as well, and. Of course, Peter Gation and, and Rudolph, who who ran the um, Danceteria, would then like also be a very pivotal club owner and uh, purveyor. So yeah, I mean, it, this is me trying to get a sense of things, uh, and I hope that you kind of get the angle that I'm coming from and uh, you can understand that I'm coming from a very sort of objective place, and uh, I. Um, I'm just a fan and fascinated with club culture live in the live setting. You know, I've worked as a promoter for many, many years. So I will say this too, like if you haven't seen Stretch Armstrong book, uh, No Sleep, uh, NYC uh, Nightlife Flyers from 1988 to 1999, that's a great starting point too, because there is a chapter in which uh, uh, there's a nice cross section of stuff that Michael Alec did. Um, in it, along with a lot of other things, as far as hip hop and house and and techno and underground parties, and um, it's just part of the whole landscape of New York City during that time. And I think what Michael did was uh, a, a big piece of that puzzle, along with a lot of other people. So, um, yeah, this is me trying to figure out that puzzle a little bit more from an outsider standpoint, if you will. And, um, yeah, I went way out in Long Island and did it yesterday. In fact, from when I'm recording this. So I hope you guys get it and can dig into it a little bit to know where I'm coming from with it. And, uh, and yeah, without any further ado, I think I'm, I've set this up pretty good. You know, I'm keeping my, these intros are getting longer and longer, but nevertheless, Check out this conversation with me and Michael Alec, and his and his friend uh, Jane is with us too. So so she's a part of the conversation as well. So here we go. Only here in the house list. If you like this, please subscribe on iTunes or repost it. If you have a blog or a website or pass it around, you know um, this is a pretty much a DIY thing. So here, check out my conversation. I'll see you guys on the outro. So. A lot of the, that's what, that's something that I was pretty fascinated in too. Is that and then I, I guess I learned more and more as I was kind of prepping for this was that how expansive the outlaw parties yeah. really were. It, it actually was like people started that you weren't even that you didn't even know or affiliated yeah. with started just running with the basic concept of it, right? We we had I I don't know what was I was thinking, but I think I at one point I decided to give each one of them a name of a drug to to identify them. Right. So this one was called LSD. Um, one of them was called Mescaline, and Patricia Field and Yo-Yo, her, Rebecca, her girlfriend, were at that party, and somebody had taken their picture, and it was printed in a magazine, and it said, Patricia Field and Rebecca Field at the Mescaline party. And uh-huh. she called me and said, Michael, why do you have to name these parties named after drugs? It sounds like we're at a Mescaline party. So, but are these here, are are these not, most of these are yours, yeah, though, right? Yeah, just got that one. Oh, okay, Interesting. Yeah, and I think that's where it kind of. I can almost tell why we're not even looking at it just by looking at the 
the kind of general general look of the implication I can tell if it's mine. Right. Yeah, so, and I want to backtrack to that too, because a lot of my uh, interest and really the interest in doing this um, little conversation really comes from like just the whole concept and setting up of, of not just, I mean, the, the outlaw parties are a big piece of that puzzle, but there's like so much other stuff quite literally leading up to it, you know, mm-hmm. in the years before that. So, and I think the kind of, to frame it, even if it was like, you know, chronologically, I feel like it's somewhere in between like, you know, 1988 and 1992 or three when, when the bulk of that stuff was really yeah. happening. That's, that, is that I'm accurate? So glad, yes, it is. I'm so glad you brought this book because it's really, in, I'm really inspired now. Aren't you inspired? Yes, I'm inspired. Well, I mean, I love, I mean, you know, this is my copy, but I'll gladly give it to you. If you um, want, no, you know. I, I just want to glance through it before you. Absolutely. But yeah, yeah absolutely. it's very inspiring. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, not only... Motivating. Yeah, and not only the parties themselves, but... Just, just the everything. It's, it's, it's an exciting. It looks like to, you want to look at it, like go through every page. So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, but I mean, uh, like, so much kind of leads up to even getting to the point of doing this. The red zone stuff is really like the 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 kind of the seminal, the earliest stuff as a promoter for you, right? As far as no, finding uh, a venue. No, it goes back to Danceteria. That's the first one. So, like, so where does that? So yeah, how does like, that even start? As far as like, just as a party promoter, because obviously the owner of Dance Interior you would work with, you know, continuously for a long time. Yeah, uh, um, he was Rudolph. Well, he wasn't right. the owner; he was the director. Um, oh, I see. But, okay, I didn't know that. Uh, I think I had my first party here somewhere. Uh, oh, this is actual cap- cabaret Voltaire, not Rio Voltaire. Oh wow. Um, and these, like, you were, um, were you laying these out too? Or were, did you have different people that you know, would do, I, like, that did yeah, the artwork and stuff like that? I didn't lay them out, but I would call them and tell them how to make it look. Right. Yeah, another interesting thing that, like, you know, going back to Project X, too, was how the, um, there would always be, like, a full-page ad for Kinko's. Uh, there, too. well, the Kinko's ads were a deal that we made with Kinko's. That they would give us. Um, I don't know if it's recording. They would it give is. Us, yeah, yeah, we're recording. They would give us um, a discount or sometimes even free um, service if we gave them ads. Oh, of course, yeah, like an ad trade, and because yeah. obviously you're, you know, you guys are printing oh, a, a ton of, of it. Yeah, we did a lot of Kinko stuff. I mean, this is all Kinko's. Oh God, we're at Kinko's in the middle of the night. Yeah, yeah those twenty-four hour Kinko's. Now, yeah, there, there's only one now, and it's it's, uh, it's it's not actually Kinko's. What is it? FedEx. FedEx. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, those twenty-four-hour kinkos in New York were pretty. Um, they were happening. Imperative. Yes. <laughs> they were happening. Everyone's yeah. there. <laughs> so you were you. I mean, we, I know I'd like to talk to you about it too. I mean, obviously because we're here together, and uh, and Michael's like kind of gathering some stuff too. But you were were you were you working at a club before the Limelight, or did you no, kind of just start? I started in the at Limelight. I was a receptionist there when I started, and then I worked my way through the different positions they had there slept my way to the top Mm. um and uh, michael and i started the same month at limelight and by the time i left i we had to hire an (coughs) in-house attorney for all the legal issues that she had caused (laughs) (laughs) that didn't sound very good by the time i left we had to hire a lot of lawyers for the legal issues so i was uh our attorney's assistant among other things 
were there it was just there was a lot of obviously a lot of risk at some as the parties kind of evolved it became a lot it was more than just people get hurt DJs yeah. people get hurt people yeah. die right they don't we don't, you know we did a, we did a, one of those we did a, a formula thing where we did like 3,000 people times four clubs times five days a week oh, no, times we seven did years very well. and we out of like 10 million people like one person I think ever overdosed or died or something so that it's kind of In, out well, it's kind of exaggerated uh, how many people that's not 100% accurate well, how many people did die I, I, we're not going to go into the uh, yeah. how many people have you killed but how many people are reported and how many people oh. go how many what? How many people are actually reported that they died in our club, or how many people actually died in the club? Well, both numbers are interesting. Right. I mean, and that's obviously are they like not the a same. A no, numbers? they're not the same. Are, are they vastly different? They are vastly different. How vastly? By ten. I've never seen this person before. <laughs> wow. Right. No. I mean, the, you know, uh, I worked at the knitting factory on Leonard Street for a few years um, before it closed, and I, I even had one casualty. In the club, the and this, yes, as an uh, uh, an overdose in the bathroom, which oh was uh, terrible because the know, show was hard, yet to be it's done. It's hard to be held responsible for what people do, pro- maybe before they even come to your club. Oh I mean, yeah, this guy was only coming to hang out with the bartender. You yeah, actually I wasn't mean, attending the show. Yeah, this is this party never actually even happened because it it was scheduled to happen, and then the kid fell down the elevator shaft at Danceteria. Oh my god! Uh, Fourth floor, interesting. So how where? What would that? What would the? What was the fourth floor of the danceateria? Like? It was like it was a kind of the VIP room, uh, but it had a little stage. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. yeah so you have so you still have quite a like uh, um, extensive uh, oh, uh, collection party. of these. Uh, oh, no. that's my first party. Uh, yes, uh, and this is after James St. James and Kiki raided the boxes and took what they wanted. Oh, so there was well, a I lot was have been defenseless in jail. So what would, can you do? You recall like the the basic um, run of this, the very first one? Yeah, I I had no idea what I was doing. So this is eighty five, January third, eighty five. So it was basically nineteen eighty four. No, it was this is this was This was actually eighty six, but we were they oh, were so used to eighty five that they just kept it. <laughs> we didn't change it because nobody noticed it until right. the, the day of the party. Um, but um, oh no, I just put and I don't know. <sighs> I put some from that box in this box, and now I don't know what which ones I did. Oh no! Obviously, the are they in any kind of? Well, there was one order? of everything in in this box, and then there was uh, bunches of everything in that box. So uh, I don't know. I love. Um, Look how cute. Kiyoki I know he is. he is very cute. We miss Kiyoki. He's in Hawaii. I just got this all the time. How is he? <laughs> He's bored. No, he is not. He he's swims. He's he's he makes really bored. Me, today he's, he's bored. Okay. Well. <laughs> he said, "How is he?" He's happy. That's yeah. good. That's great. He's he, with his family. Uh, well, that's probably he swims, a good thing, right? He, you know, makes music. He eats. He's in the sun. He, he, he's in Hawaii. Eats. How unhappy could he be? He absolutely eats. And he doesn't want to come back. He's absolutely eating. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't. You had yet to connect with him on, during this time, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, I had. I met him the month after that. That was in January. Oh, wow. I met him in February. So, how did you even go about approaching uh, well, the club for this? I well, I I knew enough to approach them for a party, but I didn't know what to do after the party. So, after I got the date of the party, right. so I booked the date of the party, and then I met with um, Randy and Fenton 
they were a DJ duo at the time, uh, the Fabulous Pop-Tarts, they're world of wonder now. Um, but they were DJs back then, and they were kind of friendly, and they wanted to sleep with me, basically. And I, um, they wanted me to have a three-way with them. And so I kind of flirted with them, and um, then I took them out to dinner at McDonald's, which I actually, they thought I was being ironic, but it was actually a big deal for me to take them to McDonald's because I didn't have any money, and that was, it was expensive. Sure. So, um, you treated. So, yeah. And um, they told me how to, come, you know, that you come up with a theme, and then you have to come up with how much money it'll cost, and then you have to add something in for yourself and for the DJs. And I think I put them on there. I hired them as part of the, you know, the deal that they explained me how to do it. I would hire them as a DJ. And even as even to the point of like some of this is like you know you have to learn some lessons to know uh, the invite cannot be sold or right. transferred. Right, well, they, they put that on there. On there, mm-hmm. I just read the other, the other stuff. Are they DJing? Are they fabulous pop tarts. It doesn't look like they're on there. Uh, well, they did DJ that. Um, so I mean, even from the jump, it's like uh, these are more than. But just... I mean, this one. This is. An, I can't even believe that they booked this. I mean, it's not a party. I mean, this right. isn't a party. The, a go-go international food party? It's not even a party. You, we wouldn't even book this now at Outrage, and we're desperate. What <laughs> is that? It's, that was my second party. So what is, where's the food? Rudolph booked it because he liked the name. He liked how it sounded. Go-go international food party. He thought it was funny. What does that mean? <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> the idea was that we would have... Table Free setup. delicacies uh, from around the world. Yeah, we would, and we would have <laughs> the go-go dancer on the table... Dancing in a style reminiscent of the food from Thailand or the oh, food from I so we had. Did you actually do? We that? had fortune cookies from China, and we had you know whatever, <laughs> and um and then we had the Chinese go-go dance. <laughs> so I mean, we st- put more effort into that than we would do now. <laughs> so they was it that they started you up in the they would give you the top the floor because it's a little easier to to fill or how did you did you work your um, way into the main no that was my second party um right. he did that i know now right. he did it because the club to me i just moved to new york and so that club seemed very cool and the people who were there seemed cool to me but that was because i was from indiana so sure, um, well sure new york did, is a very yeah, uh, exotic what place i too. didn't know was that danceteria was already on its way out it was not fabulous anymore the cool people did not go there anymore so he hired me because i felt that it was cool and he thought that, that would, I would be enthusiastic about promoting it because I didn't know any better. And because right. um, my friends were all as young as I was. They were, were all 18 and, and going to college. And so we were all new people. So right. it was a way of bringing new people in. Of course, which is very uh, enticing. Yeah. yeah. So where did it go f- from here? I it, mean, well, I, it did, they, it's just they, trial and error at this point in time. Yeah, I mean, they, did very, they both did very well. And then my... Well, I mean, very well, probably like three or four hundred people, which is very well. Yeah, um, yeah that's so, fantastic. I mean, even to this but, I mean, day, to me, it, it seemed kind of like I didn't understand because what, why it was so difficult to do this because you're it's a f- weekend night and you're offering them free admission and free drinks. I mean, if I can't fill the room with, and in New York City offering free admission and free drinks, we better get a different business. Yeah, and, and it looks like even a lot. Of, it's, it's funny going over those flyers too. So many of them, it was oh, the open bar and the two comps. You know, were standard. Right? They were at for the time. They're not standard now. No, there's two. I'm saying OJ because there's two of these. I now. understand. It's like yeah. Sure. <laughs> um, I don't. We. I don't. I don't the, the whole world is topsy turvy. <laughs> um, yeah, this it was standard back then. I mean, now can you imagine? I I didn't even get an open bar for my birthday. I mean. I don't know what the kids are doing nowadays. 
they don't. The kids are doing it. And I, I had a dinner. Yeah, right. I had a dinner well, party yeah. the night of my birthday. I invited people. They came expecting to pay at a dinner party. <laughs> like well, to pay, like to split the bill, like yeah. amongst one another. Yeah. yeah. I think that that's very nice that your friends are willing to pay. I and try, they did not have to. No, I know. So. I know. I tried to break them of that awful habit. So I mean, yeah, I mean, going, uh, kind of getting back to this too. I mean, it's great that. Oh wow, that's like an official, uh, like uh, yeah, post on an envelope. So so, how did that like from the dance interior? Where did you? When did you realize that you could actually <laughs> go to something a little more when, contemporary? When for that the time? kid fell down the elevator shaft, right. and I had to go to limelight. So I moved that party. There's you, actually, you been there, there are actually two invitations. This is interesting. We started at the same time. See, this is what, this, an anecdote for the book. There are two of these invitations because I moved this party to Limelight. So there's this one and then there's the Limelight one and you'll see the difference. Of the, How uh, much time was in between? Did you? Was it like a matter like a day, of... Like I, just went, I just went right next door and said, quick, don't die, got a bucket. Right. So how did, how did the two of you guys... Oh, work? Jane! <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I don't remember exactly how we met. I can remember he used to drive me crazy, and he still does. Um, Jane, we're going to take all these invitations out and go through all the <laughs> As I said, he drives me crazy. He would come in my office and pee in my garbage can, things like that. Wow. I feel like Joan Crawford looking through the... If I didn't think of it, what is this? Doing <laughs> yeah, I mean, we can take it, uh, you know one show at a time but we don't we, I mean you know there, this is crazy too because I, I wouldn't have expected that you would have such a you know a, a, um, well account. then you obviously don't know me very well <laughs> oh I had so much more than this this is like nothing so and the limelight James St. James and Kiyoki got, got wind of these boxes so right. going through them selling everything Oh, so probably yeah. for drug what, money. What was the um, story with these, with the cards? Because these are a pretty. This is a pretty like inventive tool for. We're, we're doing promoting. those again. We're oh, doing nice. those in a couple of weeks. We're going to start that. Up. Oh, and this is yeah. yeah this is your um, uh, co-host. Yes, of the pew. The pew, which you shoot here. Yeah. Well, yes, we're going to shoot on Friday. Oh, nice. How did that come? That, well, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I mean, this guy you've known too for quite a long time as well. Right? Yes, uh, I met him. Uh, when I uh, first moved to New York, something's going on here, Jane. Maybe you put two of I everything. Actually, I, think I think you um, put two of everything. Yeah, he. I met him at one of Suzanne's parties, and he was. He was at that time. I think he was the smartest person I'd ever met. He was, like a book smart and also street smart. And um, he had a his shtick was that he glued different things to his face right. like mustache. All the time, and it would sometimes radiator tubes or anything. You do and, like the pipe cleaners yeah, and stuff. Right? Yeah, and it was I thought a creative. I love. I like. I was attracted to people who glue things to their faces, and um, he, uh, and he was smart on top smart, of that. So, attractive, smart, attractive, charming, oh, sincere. Yeah. All right, this is proof. If probably, ever there was proof needed, <laughs> be quiet. Uh, <laughs> probably one of the most real club people I had met. In Clubland, Ernie Glam was—he seems real. pretty down Very to earth, to, in a way, right? Is that and you know who's up there with him? Shockingly, Amanda. Really? Yeah. So Suzanne, though she—that she—she's obviously like a pretty. She's I, out there. She's down. But I mean, but going back to—I mean, how you guys met at that time, she was like a pretty 
uh, influential oh, no, promoter she's in still New York. Pr- inf- yes. She's still that. Yeah. Oh, I know. I thought you meant as far as real people. In now, in the context of like New York City club promoters and sh- like sort of cl- uh, show oh. organizers, I mean, was that the that was probably one of the first few people that you would see that was Suzanne? doing yeah that was doing something that would well not back then she hadn't she didn't start until um she started with Savage that was like in eighty eighty seven or eighty eight oh, okay she actually people don't know this but she Peter brought her over from London uh, she was living in London he had a a limelight in London and so he knew her from there um, and he brought her to New York he was having an affair with her and he um. Uh, paid for her to relocate and be near him. Oh, and as a byproduct of that, she was well, doing she so. said, she said, oh, anytime you need me, Peter, I'm, I'll be there for you. Anything I can do, don't hesitate to ask. But then every time we asked her to do something, she said, oh, I'm sorry, it just wouldn't work out. Oh, I'd love to do it, but it just wouldn't work out. You know. So who would you say? But I'd really love to. Next time you need <laughs> me to ask me. But, I mean, Lee... Oh, <laughs> yeah. She started her. She started actually in fashion. She had a clothing store in Soho, and she brought over Lee Bowery or Peter brought over Lee Bowery and uh, all these other kind of cool uh, London designers. And she had a little scene happening in her store. Yeah, and that's from there came the parties. So what? Uh, um, I mean, there. Go. I mean, there's so much. I mean, even just looking at the flyers is a little overwhelming because it's a little of, overwhelming. I'm floundering here. It's triggering a lot. Of questions. And you really need to calm down. Get them organized another let me, time. Let me this see is this one. I'm floundering. Did you be flounder? Like a fish. So some of these were um, other people's things too, because obviously yes. international yes. climax control. That was that's yes. that was someone else. Yes. yes. So were you, you? I mean, at, at one at least at one point. I mean, and even looks back like when you look at um, uh, the column in Project X mm-hmm. Club Rub mm-hmm. uh, that that you were still like even at that time, especially in the earlier issues too, where you were like a you know a fan and a sort of a, um, a purveyor of other people's oh oh stuff god yeah too, right yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, because that's not that that story itself isn't really like told very specifically in any way. So, uh, and me, you know, I didn't grow up in New York during that period of time, and I wasn't at I wasn't at those. In fact, like uh, when I got to New York uh, formally, I mean, I moved to New York in '98, and but oh, I was uh, uh, oh, you missed everything. Yeah, and then by the time I got to the limelight, it was called the Avalon. So uh, uh, a pre-Halloween hullabaloo. <laughs> Avalon. Is that Steve, Steve Adelman? Steve Adelman. Oh. How he ended up with that building. All oh, because he was the last. I mean, obviously they were desperate, and he was the last one around. I think the Avalon only—it was only around for a few, year, a couple of years as well. Which around. I'm surprised it lasted that long. His tutelage. So, uh, so going like. Uh, I'm going to hear the interview. <laughs> Steve Adelman. He'll know what we think of him. He knows. He's not that interesting. I think he oh, so this is going this is the uh, this was the big big one right here too right um like, I think that people have a mistaken idea of how big it was because there's the, the invitation to see so many times. it wasn't really well yeah the bigger ones were, there were bigger ones than that right um looking at the night oh this is the yeah the 1990 changing of the guard oh, which of course is in party. they're getting a little bit more um Contextually, they're like more together. Right. It's more of a party. This one. It's more sensitive. 
Yeah, I mean, these were all like this is going back to the dance interior too. This yeah, was that was the, the raffle thing. of the century. Um, and this was, I think, the fourth one. Date auction, right? Auctioned off my friend. <laughs> We're gonna do that again. Oh, yep. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Maybe we should do that this week. I think that. Oh, but I won't be here. Really? I mean, maybe. I don't know if I have to go. So this is at your. This is at Outrage now, oh. which is the current thing, right? Mm-hmm. So what's the room? That, what's, that's just the name of the party. What's the room, or is it like a? Room. Okay, it's not like a roving type of no. thing, right? How long have you guys? This is what you guys do, work on it together. Mm-hmm. How long has that been going on? Though? A year, yeah. surprisingly. Yeah, it's at two forty nine Eldridge Street. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Amazing and. Um, uh, how did that even fall into place? I mean, was it just... Uh... Kiyoki was working on it first. Uh, Kiyoki, Kenobi, and James. Is yeah. that who was doing it? And uh, it was called, like, Fuck Mondays, or I Hate Exiled. Mondays. or it, it had a lot of sort of heavy names, not very happy. Right. Yeah, it was a little dark. And it was called Exile, and he was wondering why he was the only person there. Right. And, <laughs> and it was a Monday night. Yeah. <laughs> Exile. Which is infamously hard to make work. Oh, Mondays are, yeah. One yeah. of the hardest, if not the hardest. Um, I mean, traditionally, Monday night is the night where all people who work in clubs go out because they're not working. Right, right. So usually you have sort of the in-house people who work. Yes, I'm not landing in house. <laughs> <laughs> I like that spelling is perfect. But Kiyoki started it, and it was fledgling, and... Kiyoki's really into music. Yes. He loves his music. He is. He really is passionate about the music. Uh, not really interested in promoting. Not really right. interested in people. At sure. all. At all. Well, yeah, in the classic sense of like most, a lot of club DJs are more Complete focused on asshole. just being the DJ. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it takes a couple of people to put it all together, right? So, so it was not going forward without some help. And uh, Michael came along and got that sucker rolling. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's kind of an interesting, like almost a full circle thing, you know, that you guys have uh, been doing this now for so long, and that you can restart a party. Yeah, it's been going okay. I mean, we 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 need party ideas. There's like a thousand of them here. Nobody will remember any of this stuff. We're the only ones Uh, who survive. I'm sure you could um, reinvent some of these. Yeah, for sure. Um, what well, I'd love to know too, when uh, you first um, s- connected with uh, Vito Bruno, because he he obviously was uh, instrumental in some yeah, of the. I just I, I just called him and said um, that I wanted to um, I I wanted to know why he didn't do Outlaw Parties anymore because they were really exciting and um, the what the most exciting things I'd seen in New York and I was sad that he wasn't doing them anymore. And I wanted to know why. What were the ones that he had did that you had um, attended? Do you remember the um, the uh, West Side? Hi- the, you know the ramp on the West Side Highway. Yeah. Uh, the unused part on top. Mm. And that was uh, a, a kind of a famous one. It was a party for um, Noel, the singer. Yes. Um, oh yeah, because he did a lot of the freestyle artists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He managed a lot of free, and he Noel performs performs Silent Morning there, and. I just thought it was the coolest thing. I, I, that was the reason I moved to New York for stuff like that. I didn't even know what it was, but that idea was why I moved to New York. Yeah. And I said that the fact that he's not doing them anymore is really depressing for me, and um, and he's kind of like ruining New York for me. So can he please start doing that again? 
uh, and he said that he would love to, but he is too busy. He w he had become very successful as a record producer, and um, oh, that's right, didn't have any time to do it. So he said he would love to do it if all he had to do was just like maybe give an idea and then show up that night. So I said, well, okay. So give me the idea. Tell me where you want it, and then I'll set it up. And then all you have to do is show up. So he thought that was a great idea. So um, the first few outlaw parties I did, and also because I wanted to call, I call them outlaw parties, I, I couldn't really do that morally or ethically without his steel, uh, stamp of approval. So sure. he um, he helped. We did the first few together, and um, and kind of blended me into it so that I could continue on doing it after he stopped. So yeah, I mean he he you got his blessing and then yeah. it sort of worked like that that's yeah. this is one right here right yeah so which one which one is that that's the tiny tim one uh -huh. so i mean it just this committee is like if they were at a party it would be a great party yeah so break this down too because this is also something you don't see on I, any kind of shows anymore and pa parties so you call I'm, it a committee i'm basically I'm looking at this outlaw 91 number one uh was a project x and fad magazine which i don't know fad magazine Ooh. i don't remember that one that was uh Gina Davis from Los Angeles. Really? Yeah. So now there's like probably a hundred people's names on the flyer. What's the? So this is basically these are like invited guests, right? And a flyer is a little card that you get on a, at the grocery store for fifty percent off of the you laundry detergent. Right. Right. So, um, but everybody calls them flyers. But so basically, essentially, with yes, I know, yeah, an invite because because this does enable whoever's on this list to bring a guest with them. Uh -huh. That's. But outside of that, there. I mean, how do you? You can't really control people that um, no. show up that aren't no, I know. listed here. I know. But it's to stoke it's people out. You can't. <laughs> In fact, you want them to show up. Oh, yeah. Right. Right. Yes. Of course. You want them to want that invite. So at this point in time, too, like, do you go physically to each one of these people and give them this? Like, or did I, you? I, I would. I probably give them ten or twenty each. Oh, I see. Yes. So who booked? Who was instrumental in finding, reaching out tiny to uh, Tiny Tim? Well, that was John Carmen. He was a publicist at Limelight. We had we had a party for uh, John for Tiny Tim uh, at Limelight on the Wednesday before that, the day before that. Right. Uh, so he was in town, um, and I don't know why the outlaw party was on Thursday, not Wednesday. Um, he must, I don't know, we must have needed him for something else on Thursday. He probably performed at Limelight again on Thursday. Oh, that's what it was. We had a big party for him on Wednesday night, and then he performed at Limelight on Thursday, but we figured that nobody would come to that performance because right. they were all at the Wednesday party. So we had an outlaw party on Thursday to trick them into going to the outlaw party. And then once they're out, we say, oh, now everybody go to Limelight too. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, because they were, were they, they were back to back. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, what did he did he he played his good he played his little he played guitar? ukulele. Yeah, ukulele, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Did you guys yeah, have a conversation? It's on, it's on YouTube. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, yeah, we yeah he hung out. He was he was he's very cool. I he mean, was. <laughs> got it. Like the, the you know he's very cool because he's not successful. All the very cool people are not successful. <laughs> right. He got what you guys were trying to do with, the, with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Nice. He's a very odd character. He certainly has some I mean, he, strange he's, he's, idiosyncrasies. Yes, but and he's in on a joke. I mean, he's not like completely out there. Like, doesn't isn't aware. No, no. Of, like, he realizes that he is interesting. Well, yeah. I mean, at that time too. I mean, he was doing all those late night appearances too, and people were they obviously were attracted to him. You know, for that. Mm -hmm. Another. I mean, another person. I'm. I'm super. 
not infatuated with, but I'm very interested in, and, and, and they were a big part of it, I think, too, was, uh, was Lee Bowery, too. Mm. So what, um, and that, that seems like um, that Lee was involved with a bunch of stuff over the years, right? Yeah. Intermittently, um, or? I mean, I mean, as far as I know, I was the only one bringing, I mean, I know that Suzanne brought him over a couple of times for her um, store, um, but as far as club appearances, I think I was the only one um, maybe they could afford to bring him over because it was expensive but um, I would always find clever ways of paying for it like um, the time that we went on the Joan Rivers show I had her fly him to New York and pay for all the hotels and everything so the club didn't have to pay for it right so um, he'd be there for a couple extra days and yeah. he could squeeze in, a, in an appearance so. yeah and he was cool with that I, I mean, he was I, I, except one night um, we had four clubs so right for the people that might be unfamiliar which there will be like can you just break that down yeah we we at that time we had we were running the four largest clubs in the city uh tunnel usa palladium and limelight and um so because of that we were able to on this particular time we were able to split the cost of bringing lee over into four uh parcels so that we could have a party from Wednesday at Limelight, Thursday at Tunnel, Friday at USA, and Saturday, you know. And so um, I had him show up at each on each night and each time collect a certain amount of money. Right. And before he left, he said something that <laughs> a little was a little upsetting because it was very difficult for me to figure out how to pay his enormous the cost of bringing him over and, uh, you know, for the club. So I did it like that and then I had... Uh, Joan Rivers pay for stuff, and he said, "Maybe the next time I come over, you won't have me crawling to limelight for a quarter and b- b- running over the palladium for another nickel." And you know, and and you know. I mean, it is uh, you know, as a promoter, I mean, you kind of have to figure out a way to make it work. Yeah. And if he had an exorbitant, and I mean, cost. nobody was ever bringing, nobody else was bringing him over, and we had made kind of a deal that um, that he would um, kind of promote me in London. Uh, to his uh, group, you know, group, and that I would do the same in New York. Did you Did you go to London? No, because um, we had a fall, we had a, a bit of a falling out um, over the design of the bathrooms at um, at USA when we were um, building at the club. Uh, I wanted him to design the bathrooms at the club, and he wouldn't give me the idea, his idea, until we cut him a check, and I said that. That was insulting because what if we don't like the idea and um, then you know then we're, we were not going to do it and he said he didn't care he wanted the money and um, mm. if we didn't like the idea we could not do it but he still wanted to be paid for the idea um, which didn't make any mm. sense to me right. and I said you know when Peter said tell him that when I go to bow, to Barney's I don't say here's $150 give me whatever shirt you have I say how much I like that shirt? How much is it? And they say it's hundred fifty dollars. And he said, "Well, tell Mr. Gation that when he goes to Bowery's, there are no shirts on the rack. And the first thing you must do is write a check to the proprietor in the amount of ten thousand dollars." <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah, but still, yet a such a brilliant um, yes, performance artist. Yes, I could forgive him for his uh, eccentricities because he was a genius. Yeah, I mean, there's stuff that, like you know, the average person in the audience doesn't <laughs> really take into account for. I mean, when it comes to booking someone at that level of like. Uh, that eccentric too, you yeah. know. Um, what so for for there to be four shows? Were they were they all different kinds of performances? Yeah, they, or were they like? Would he just walk? He well, was just walk on stage. At or? Limelight, we 
we didn't even plan what he was going to do, and neither did he, and, until he walked in the door. And then he's like, now what do I do? And I was like, I don't know. So we gave him a lamp, and um, and we, uh, I told him that we would play some like very big like orchestral like setup music, right. and have him come on, and then turn the lamp on. I'd come on the stage and turn the lamp on, and then that would be that. <laughs> <laughs> so we did that. Amazing. Two thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> every penny. Yeah. What's this record right here? Is this a record that you guys? It's up? an invitation. Oh, amazing! And it would play too, yeah, mm-hmm. of course. Yeah, it's a, a recording. Kenny Kenny made it actually. Imagine him doing something like that now. He he ran around with a tape recorder and a microphone and like had all my friends say something and then he mixed it into a song. Incredible. Wow. Yeah. How many of those do you think you guys pressed up? Probably five thousand. Nice. Yeah. There was a record that I, I, I stumbled across a record that you were on. There was like a twelve inch from oh. a group. You know what I'm talking about? The it was like the Be lesbian waterbed or something. Yeah, lesbian <laughs> waterbed. Yes. <laughs> um, I have I've never heard it. I know I know that it exists. You know. Uh, yeah, it absolutely exists. It's just like a house track that you're you what do the intro on or something. No, it's a, it's a whole. It's all I say is um, the song is I think called um, X or X is best or something. And then that's all. It's an X is best. Put it to the test or whatever. And then they just like play it over and over. Is that a big club record? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, Gabriel is insisting thirty minutes. He wants invite for this week, but for the newsletter. Oh. I said that we don't have anything yet. Which uh, what are we gonna do? We're going to have a karaoke auction. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, I would love to spend a little bit of time talking about the magazine, if that's possible, just mm-hmm. because it's another thing <laughs> where, um, I mean, thank God you have the website, because it's such a great Ooh, uh, database. I, th- I think we're missing one on the Yeah, you're missing issue two. Yeah, Rudolph has it, and we just haven't gotten around to putting it. Actually, he sent us all of it. We just haven't put it up yet. Is, is, is he live in New York? Is he? He's in Brazil. Okay. He has 15 clubs. Really? Yeah. I had no idea. That's amazing. I know. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean... Thinking. I didn't either. It worked. One of them. Um, there uh, is... It's such a rich kind of um, just uh, story of that of this period of New York club life, too. Because as, that, as, the, mag- as the zine sort of evolves out of a zine into kind of more like a, a glossy um, magazine that has, like like multiple page fashion I know. can you believe that Swatch and Calvin Klein agreed to like major, yeah them? major advertisers they obviously absolute were not looking at the magazine right. they obviously made the decision what looking at the cover and never looked at the magazine so I mean mm-hmm. essentially it was it started as as like Rudolph basically put money into it and it was you and, mm-hmm. and uh, Julie Jules Julie Jules so we she actually, was the editor and you were the co-editor it was actually a game to see how much we could get away with before they would say something was there was it seemed like you had pretty it was pretty free form I mean did, yeah. was there ever there must have been stuff that would eventually have to be taken out after yeah we had to we we couldn't we had to stop making the um the drug ads we had a different we had a different right. ad for a different drug every issue um and all references to kitty porn and you know basically <laughs> all that kind of stuff taken out um and um the instructional manuals on how to shoot crystal meth and, and that kind of stuff gone um oh the uh step by step how to run away from home and how to hide drugs from your parents and you know all that stuff couldn't take it out 
So what was the... Basically everything that made the magazine interesting and different from other magazines we had to take out. Yeah, because if you look at it, as it, as it turns more into the, into the, almost oh. to the mid-90s, it becomes like, it's interesting because the scene itself is turning more towards like, rave, as rave culture becomes yeah. a little more commercialized and in, in actualized, as well as like, it's like that 90s fashion, you know, boom, where that industry is just like at its biggest you know i mean that's even changed dramatically too just the fashion industry to now compared to then but um it's so reflective in the uh in what you guys are writing and especially what's in club rub so (laughs) i would love to talk about club rub a little bit you know james i really had intended james to write it because i knew that he was a funny writer he was very he's a very funny writer and um but the problem with james is like the problem with a lot of smart people um, that smart drug addicts that they he either didn't have enough drugs to write it or he had too many drugs and he was too high so he would say I can't write it unless you give me some K and then I would get him K and he'd say I can't write it I'm in a K hole and it went back and forth like that and I, I could never find like the right spot where he was could do things but you were I mean so so just oh, so out of default it. you yeah. uh, had to run with it yeah yeah, because if you read it, it's actually, it's really great writing. I mean, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's as far as nightlife reporting goes, too, which is an art in itself, obviously. Yeah. Um, scene writing is very ri- has a rich history in New York City as well. I mean, you take into account, of course, the Village Voice, um, but uh, Paper Magazine and I details. I was more inspired by, like, the Luella Parsons and, like, the, what's her name, Hedda Hopper and all that, that kind of gossipy stuff. Yes, okay. yeah. Yeah, which it, which it kind of embodies too, but it's so tongue in cheek when it comes to like certain. There's like a, you know, you're calling out like Clint Eastwood and like some of these. Sort oh, of we were like trying. We were, we were trying to get them to sue us, because we wanted um, the the attention that a lawsuit would bring. So um, we we said that Elizabeth Taylor was a um, a lesbian pedophile that she she trolls bathroom public bathrooms at rest stops and inject kids with drugs and bring them, bring them oh home. And, like, all kinds of stuff. And nobody would ever sue us. Never well, in we all did, of those years did, we got, was we there a lawsuit. One, we, did, we did. We got one cease and desist, but it was from um, the Children's Television Workshop. Because oh my gosh. We yes, had, I remember that. <laughs> we, um, we had uh, you made an ad for Disco 2000 said, that said the gang's all here and it was Big Bird, Cookie Monster and uh, Oscar Grouch. Oh, so you took the likeness of the yeah. beloved Sesame Street characters. Yes. But we could say that we said that, that uh, Lynch Evangelista was a heroin addict, and uh, uh, the, the Elizabeth Taylor thing. And then we said, I don't know. We just we were just using names of celebrities to hopefully um, attract their attention and get them to sue us. Well, it's interesting too because as like the '90s would roll on, to you have. Um, like magazines like Vice that would then turn yes, into this mega know, corporate know. you know industry that sort of really made got their start with that style of I know journalism. And I um I actually hosted the party for Vice when they had their first issue. Um, really? Yeah, it was at Disco Two Thousand. Was it? Mm-hmm. What year was that? Um, ninety, early nineties, maybe mid nineties. Wow, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. So what tell let, I mean I know okay, that I'm actually finding three of some of these. I'm sorry. I know it's distressing. To set the scene just a little bit too, because I don't know, my listeners might be a little disoriented too because um Are there, you a lot of drug addicted listeners? <laughs> there's some, I'm sure. Um it's a wide range, but 
we are looking at like you know thousands of uh, flyers from the invitations I'm sorry I apologize Uh, that's that that um, the jargon evolved over the years you know Um, this is quite literally meat puppets not the band the meat puppets this is you is it Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, so interesting so yeah Um, yes who doesn't know the meat puppets I don't know most people I would think so what was the um, what was your how much stuff did you do with the world because that too kind of falls into that that, that realm too uh, yeah I did I did a lot of the world uh, the world was after after Dance and Terry closed with the world right. this is a perfect example of the difference between then and now this party would never happen today just reading the, the description of the party on the invitation nobody would make it through that right. the description what? is <laughs> This is, first of all, it's a, a rock drama. It's kind of an opera based upon, um, the, the, it's called The Last Words of Dutch Schultz. Dutch Schultz was a um, kind of, kind of a, an anti-hero. He was arrested for something in New York. and um, He's like a famous gangster. Yeah, and he was taken down. Between, and I guess his last words were, I don't know, his, they were immortalized in this opera. And uh, born Arthur Flemingheimer in 1901, Dutch Schultz grew from a teenager in the Bronx to one of the most feared gangsters in the 1930s. A bootlegger and racketeer famed for his ruthless tactics, the Dutchman schemed to assassinate Thomas Dewey, the U.S. attorney for New York. But his criminal associates, thinking this bad for business, murdered Dutch on October 29, 1934, at the Palace Chop House in Newark. His last words, as reported by the police stenographer, are the inspiration for the last words of Dutch Schultz, featuring Michael Clark, John Collins, Mick Farron, and so they made a play over his last words, and people were actually into it, and they knew what that was, and they like, wow, you know, I mean, like, <laughs> and this yes. was just like a regular night at a club, you know. Right. Was there? There must have been music at some point in time. I mean, people are just at this point in time; they'll just go because they know that it's going to be some hyper entertainment right there. I mean, but I, I mean, I guess they found that entertaining. I mean, even I don't find that entertaining, and I like a lot of weird stuff. But um, what was who was Public Halo? Do you remember these people? No. At the time, there must have been. I mean, countless different. Uh, I know, like Clark. Know, uh, promoters, though. Ha, Michael Clark, that's my fake name. <laughs> oh, that's right. And that's where I got it too. Is it really? The first time I was ever arrested was at an outlaw party, and um, and um, I didn't want to have a record, and they were arresting me for like public, whatever you know, nuisance or whatever. And I, Clark is also James St. James's last name, mm-hmm. so um, I said that I was Michael Clark, um, and um, they believed me, and so now whenever I'm arrested. They think I'm Michael Clark, and because my social security number is attached attached to it, and they think that Michael Alec is an alias. <laughs> so interesting. I was arrested in Texas a while ago, and I couldn't leave. I couldn't leave the state. I couldn't even get out of jail because they wouldn't believe that I was Michael Alec. They didn't have any ID saying I was Michael Alec. Really? Yeah. Bizarre. I know. <laughs> yeah. And they kept, you know, and they were <laughs> the lady who the. Sergeant, she's like, you know, Mr. Clark, we've been awfully good to you since you've been here. Have we mistreated you in any way? Is there a reason that you would have to lie to us about who you are? And st- yet still. And they called me Michael Clark to the, the minute I walked out. So when you, when, when did you stop working at the, at the limelight? Was when it? the DEA came knocking. <laughs> and that was it? Did yeah. you did you go on 
to anywhere else afterwards? Did you I stay in that left. World? I went to culinary school. I became a chef, opened a catering company, worked in fancy four-star restaurants around New York. Nice. So you just you had a second career after that. I've had and second, third, fourth. So yeah, that's prolific. good. Yeah, that's awesome. But somehow we can't get away from each other. We always come back together. All these damn invitations. <laughs> <laughs> How many of these do you think you were at? Probably a good fair share of them? I was so much more back of the house than front of the house. I mean, I got to have fun sometimes. You were really working in the office. Yeah, or running around the club, getting money from bars, back to the office, making sure that the... The drugs are all out. Yeah, making Mm -hmm. sure that uh, everything was (laughs) running smoothly, making sure everybody had what they Uh, needed. Would you you settle? Making sure the fire marshal wasn't going to shut us down. Well, yeah, that's imperative, Would you settle with artists at the end of the night? Like, would like how would the how would like we typically would hand a, him envelopes and he would go <coughs> and take care of people. Yeah. So at the end of like a, any any and Michael was very good. He always made sure people got paid. Always, always. No one will ever say that Michael. No. In shorted. fact, when I was arrested, Lady Bunny said that in the in the media. She said I wanted to go on record saying that whenever I've worked for Michael, he's always made sure I've been paid, and I have a feeling that everybody will say the same. Yeah, oops, it's true. Yeah, that, well, that's, um, as a promoter, I mean, that's that's all you can really you do. Have, yeah. You know, you have to assure people yeah. that, if anything. Well, yeah. I certainly know promoters who will put budgets into the club for X amount for this person and then take a little out of the envelope. Oh, sure, they that's pay possible. The person. So yeah. Michael was always honest enough. This was a, a label for a bottle of beer that went right that around the bottle. Uh, oh, so James had his own beer, beer brand. Well, that was a Red Zone uh, um, yeah. flyer. Yeah. So now, I mean, Red Zone for a while definitely was um, was thriving before the people were going to the limelight too, though, right? I mean, that that yeah. existed uh, more as a, initially as a disco club, right? Like, Red Zone, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was um, eighty eight and eighty nine. Yeah. Oh, it was that short lived of a place? It wasn't open. If, long if you notice the dates on these invitations, most of these places lasted about a year. Right. Right. <laughs> As they do, as just like uh, the building, for example, which mm-hmm. just kind of they had their um, photo exhibit thing, which you're featured in. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah. Or not. Yeah. What was your experience with the building? Did you do anything? Did yeah. you do events there? I did. Uh, and I did Saturdays there um, until Peter Gation um, got jelly. Asked us to uh, change our plans. Just oh, to stop because you were kind of out out of the his um, basically what network. he did was um, at that time I was only doing Disco 2000 at Limelight he wanted me to do the whole week so it was in the whole week like oh at each different yeah. club well no we only had Limelight at that point right okay. the beginning. and he Limelight was still terrible every night except Wednesdays and um, and uh, but w- when the success of Wednesdays showed him that it was possible to um, remake remap the club entirely so he wanted to do the rest of the week what we did on Wednesdays um, but in order to do that, I would have had to quit the building. So um, he asked me to take everybody who was working in the building and offer them more a uh, higher salary to come work at Limelight, which is kind of a gross thing to do. And you don't really do that. You're not supposed to do that. Yeah, it's kind um, of poaching another yeah. um, So, um, But Howard Schaefer was the owner of the building. He was aware that his club wasn't going to last much longer because he was having trouble with neighbors and um, it just wasn't making any money and a lot of reasons he was going to close anyway. So I spoke to him and I asked him if there was a way that we could do this amicably without like 
you know, hurting people's egos and causing money and everything. So he he went along with it, and um, we offered people jobs. We ended up basically doubling everybody's salaries, and and I knew this was going to happen because it always happens in this situation. But they were going to come. I knew they'd come to limelight and accept our money, but hate us because right. we were responsible in their eyes for. Squashing out nice. all of the yes, yeah. squashing out all the other clubs and kind of ro- bringing everybody into the Peter Gation uh, machine. Yes, yeah. and um, so they would work for us, but begrudgingly and um, spit on us as they take their money. Yeah. Mm. Now you're talking about this is like bar staff, club staff. Yeah, like doorman, DJs, right. bartender. Yeah. Yeah. What I find kind of interesting too, and I mean, in, when you start thinking of like places like. Um, the building and then of course like the tunnel and the palladium and the limelight as well is that how on the night on the other stuff that was going on the nights that where you didn't have uh, events and how uh, i think the building is well, a good example there were, but there were events every night i mean there, there right. were events well, every night right? yeah there you had events every night but not in every single room so i'm talking about just no but there were other events in the other rooms with oh them. absolutely yeah, yeah multiple rooms of course yeah. yeah so there's like while you while you're doing uh, evolving what you're doing, there's like all these other kind of m- other scenes that are thriving in the same mm-hmm. room. So I mean, especially like the house and hip hop DJs mm-hmm. of that era, where you're kind of sharing all these nights, and mm-hmm. a lot of people from that community, the DJs and fans and stuff, like have this this totally different relationship with these venues, especially like the Tunnel, you know, which is like a uh, you know notorious <laughs> hip hop club, you know. But you guys were doing just as much shit at the Tunnel as well. Uh, um, wow. Uh, well, the Tunnel Hip Hop thing was only on Sundays. Yeah. Right, yeah. But even, like, the Palladium, too, would have big hip-hop shows as well. Toward the end, they we did. We would have Wu-Tang Clan. Yeah. We, had, we had some big shows that like that. in the end of a, of a club's kind of lifespan. Um, the hip-hop eventually starts happening. Uh-huh. I mean, especially in a New York uh-huh. setting. Um, it, 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 it's, it's, just, it's, a, it's a progression. You have There's a certain progression that you have to go through it can't and it can't go the other way it has to go it goes like a list and then b list c list d list and then hip-hop and then once it's in hip-hop it can actually be revamped into an a list again right and that was cool people start going to mm -hmm. it again that was the whole it's like the lifestyle of a maggot turning into a flyer we um that was the idea of having four clubs was that we could go a list b list c list d list and then you know go in a circle i see so you could simultaneously run Mm -hmm. they could cycle through but mm-hmm. the building, it seemed like, from what I gather, now I didn't go to the building either. So I, I'm coming to this with a little bit of naivete about it because I just wasn't there in the moment. But um, that sort of all start the hip hop and the 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 A list stuff, and it all kind of starts <laughs> simultaneously. There. Yeah, and it was that was a good blending of all that because at the time hip hop was in the in the in its origin in its beginnings, hip hop right. was not anything like it is now. Of it course, was actually very gay friendly and. Um, and tolerant, uh, and there are a lot of gay people involved in hip hop. You forget that there is still underground hip hop, and okay. you really don't know okay. enough about. But that's it. all hip hop was back then. Stop doing what that kid did. <laughs> right, but no, I agree with you too, and that especially in 1990 and 91, where life when you have groups like the Jungle Brothers and stuff too, that would have like these, like, and you know, you the Jungle back, Brothers. What are you trying to say? I, <laughs> You're crazy. <laughs> What, but if you go back to those early issues of Project X too, when they were, you know, you actually had DJ charts in that magazine, which is pretty amazing if you go back to it. Yeah. Um, because there's I so mean, much other shit in the magazine and it too. It seems like so like 
antiquified, like, DJ charts. Like, who has time to, like, <laughs> compile their top 10 songs? No, but they're great. it's a great um, time capsule, too, yeah. because in the yeah. first we, couple we, issues... We buried a time capsule in the in the courtyard of Limelight. There's a capsule, time capsule buried there somewhere. Is there? Mm-hmm. It's well, got it must be under the building. Now. No, it's in the, under... There's a courtyard yeah. on the side. Right, the right. Does that still exist, mm-hmm. even yeah. with the mall and stuff? Mm-hmm. Like that? Yeah. Okay, interesting. It's all... It's all. Uh, What's in it, do you the think? The exterior it's of the building is a landmark, yeah. so it can oh, never be changed. Right. Ever. Right. Ever. Never, ever. I spent lots of money on those you stained had, glass windows. And the bushes. You had to keep <laughs> the bushes at a certain... I mean, like... Yeah, we really were... We had, we were kept to we, a standard. We were, and we were good at it. We did a very good job of it. Yeah. Until they kicked it out. Now the place is crumbling. How was the done it. How was the it. tunnel for you when you were doing the tunnel stuff? Like compared to, to the limelight. I mean, um, was it? Did it have uh, a similar kind of impact? You feel in the moment? Uh, yes. Um, which tunnel are you talking about? The first tunnel or the second tunnel? Well, you. Which one did you? Do you think you probably? I mean, you were you were just as active in both rooms. Right? Yeah. So when did, was it different nights um, in both? Uh, yeah, so sometimes the same night. I like to encourage people to go club hopping. This was this was um, the, called the Great Out, Outdoors. We spent like one hundred fifty thousand dollars on this party. Um, so break it all down. How how it, did that come it, about? Well, I believe we used to be able to. Spend, I know. Have, remember, we had budgets with money. Um, we uh, I wanted the, the place to look. I wanted the inside to look like the outside. So we um, we got like one hundred and fifty trees. Big trees from um, wow. way upstate New York, and we brought them down in trucks, and um, and um, and put them all over the dance floor, and um, and put sod on the in the on the floors, and so there's grass, and wow. I mean it was really really cool. That's and amazing. we had a babbling brook and a, a bridge that went over it, and and David Morales station. was the ranger uh, mm-hmm. at the ranger station, so um, that's pretty incredible, and and people. They got it. I mean, how, I what mean was even it? the invitation is so well thought out, and the wording on it is just like you know, so well done. Was this just for this? Was just one night? Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah, that's pretty amazing. So, who is this? Eric Good. He was the person that he he was a, a, one of the owners of Area, the club, right. which was kind of I always I think the gold standard of what I want nightclubs to be. So we hired. <laughs> In true Peter Gation form, and he could because he, Peter was always jealous of Area because Area was much cooler than Limelight could ever be, uh-huh. and um, so because there was a time when Limelight was not cool yes, at all. At all. Well, if you go back to those Project X too, and, and we always made you would diss it. Like they hated those, us. They uh, hated us. Hated us. Yeah, that's pretty and amazing. So um, even when they hired us, they hated us. But um, but. Uh, what was oh yeah, Peter was jealous of of Area, so he could he knew he could never be as cool as Eric Good, but he also knew that he could buy him. So and Eric is very cool, but he doesn't have any money. Like cool people don't have any money. Right. So Eric knew that he needed money, so he had like he had to be nice to Peter, and Peter um, gave him a lot of money, and then we did this together. We did the um, this the decor. Oh, very interesting. Okay, so did you? Go into area at all? Yeah, I went to area all the time. Did you and, do stuff? And there? Peter Did you hated. I I would cry and say, at area they have and in area they do open bar and then and I would do that with all the whatever cool club is happening right then and right. then he would say, well, where's area and that's here and all the other clubs that you say are so cool. Why aren't they around now? Maybe if they we maybe if we were, they were a little less cool, they'd be around now. Hmm. hmm. 
So Peter Gation, he ended up taking over the magazine too, like mm-hmm. right, like because it was too cool. <laughs> so that was another sort of a, a scenario where he he basically bought bought it out or bought yes. into it. He wants to own everything and yes. everyone. Yeah. Before the meeting, we went into a meeting with him, and Julie, Jewel is my partner. She said, "Should I sleep with him?" <laughs> <laughs> um, I would love to talk just a bit more too about the about the the kind of run of outlaw parties that you did specifically. Um, and I know some of these have been have been said, talked about quite a bit. Um, when was when? How, oh wow, beautiful. When was the? What? How did it conclude? Oh, this is the opening for Tunnel, a puzzle, a different piece. Each piece got you into a different part of the club. Oh, amazing! Yeah, this was like you had another puzzle uh-huh. uh, uh, thing yeah. as well. Birthday so one. You noticed that, huh? Yeah. <laughs> but one was shrink wrapped, and the other one was <laughs> they're both the same puzzle. But one was shrink wrapped. Yeah, this one right here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're both the same puzzle actually, but different printing and one was shrink wrapped. Mm-hmm. What was the um, What was the story with uh, with this dude, Junkie Jonathan? What was his what was the deal with that? Is oh, that he's a fun-loving, clean-living kind of guy. Oh, yeah, with an uh, yeah. Um, he suited His name suited him. He suited yeah. his name. So he would just be like... A, he wasn't he organizing. Was, he couldn't he possibly couldn't organize be organizing. Anything. We organized and just put his name on it. And, and did he, he even come? Up. Yeah. 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 Okay. With his eyes closed. He would come to the club with two guys carrying him, like with one arm over his shoulder, and they'd have to bring him in and then plop him down, and then he would make drug deals all along without opening his eyes. I don't know how we would do that. Um, That's called the functioning addict. Yeah. This was a magazine that I'd always wanted to do back then, but I didn't get a chance to do it until two years ago when I came home because it was complicated and I never had my act together enough. I wanted to have a magazine called Tonight that would we would have photographers and reporters roving around our clubs and we would have a template, and then they would take pictures and do a, fat, do a fashion story and who's wearing what and who showed up the gossip and everything, and then plug everything in and then have it all ready, printed, and collated and stapled to hand out at, as you leave the club so that you have an instant magazine that happens, which what happened tonight. Right. Um, and the tagline is, all the news you already knew you needed to know then. And um, uh, this was the, the prototype, and we did it the night of my art show. Um, which was in three different galleries that we had um, reporters and photographers tra- running from each uh, place to place and then they put it all together and then they did it and had it ready by four o'clock. Where did they print? How could they possibly have printed it? We On had the premises? We had, yeah, we had a, it was a Xerox machine right. in a color. So we just did it and... Nice. Who's in, who's out. <laughs> so still um, quite an inventive idea. I'm glad that you were able to do that. Yeah, I want, but I wanted to do it every day. I wanted it to be daily, the nightly thing. Right. Yeah, I know. It's kind of like if only it could have been done back then in the era of you know, print. It's always if only, if only. Right. My whole life is if only. We, when we were doing Tunnel, we, I mean, Tunnel had offered every possible thing you could imagine a nightclub would offer. We had designer, a designer DJ booth. Dolce & Gabbana designed the DJ booth. We had, wow. And it was always like, oh my God, Peter, if, we're, if, if only we could have a designer DJ booth. If only we could get Dolce & Gabbana to design the DJ then we'll be cool. And then we'd get that, and they'd say, oh, my God, you know, we need a game show. If only we had a game show in the back of the club, then we'll be going. He paid, like, $50,000 to build this uh, game show set that was, like, um, kind of like a um, match game where you had, like, and the theme was um, pee and poop and toilets. And you uh, had three outhouses that the contestants stood in, and they, like, had the and It was fixed that you press a button, and then it went, and then the one who, it was very hard to make it so that 
after when you fix push one, you turn the other two off. You know, so that, that only one can do it. Uh-huh. Um, and then, and they had sound effects and big spinning wheels and flashing lights. And I mean, it was really, really cool. Wow. And we built all that having absolutely no idea how we were going to run the game. But <laughs> Lady Bunny was going to be the MC, her and David LQ. And she said, oh, just build it and we'll figure out something. You make a bunch of stuff, cool stuff and we'll figure a game around it. Right. So, which we did. Um, and it was a really fun show called um, Give It All You Got. And they did a, a theme song. Bunny and David Ilka recorded a theme song, and we had the music playing, and then they would sing the words live at, like, at the beginning of the show. I mean, it was really good. That's incredible. So yeah. was it, uh, a lo- like, how long did that run for? About a year. Um, her and David Ilku were, like, the host and MC, whatever, and then they had a, uh, like, their, Havana White. It was Floyd, and um, her name was Moot. And uh, she was um, deaf and dumb, and um, she and she had one leg short of the other, and she would go do like whatever the Vanna White thing did. Incredible, and unbelievable. Peter, and every week I would have to fight for all of these jobs, and it's like Michael. Do we really need Moot? We have Lady Bunny David Oku. Do we really need one? And I was like, oh my god, Peter, the whole show is designed <laughs> around Moot. If you take Moot out, there's no point of doing the show. So were you negotiating what all of each individual person was being paid for this as well? Yeah. Like, yeah. So would it be like, I mean, it's it's like, you know, most promoters or talent buyers and clubs are, you know, they'll negotiate with a, like a booking agent like um, who uh, for a DJ or a touring artist to come in. So <coughs> these these are like more these are personalities, you know, and this is yeah. kind of not even it goes beyond like burlesque. It's like more of like this kind of on stage reality. It is very reality, yeah. and he Peter would argue about just every you know, you know why Christopher Comp and Richie Rich and Tom Allen. Why do we have all of them? And then you know, and I, I would say you know Peter, this is a brick wall, and you want to take that brick out and that brick out. You can take one or two bricks out, but pretty soon you take the, and the whole foundation of the club is going to fall. And he would say. He would pretend to be a, a customer, and he would get on the phone and he'd say, uh, "Hello, is this Tunnel? Are Christopher Comp and Richie Rich working tonight? They're not. Well, I'm not coming to the club then." And then he would, some, or sometimes he would uh, pretend to be his bo- the the boss at the bank, and he would say, "Mr. Gation, uh, we regret to tell you that there's no money. There's not enough money to pay your payroll account. But we heard that Lady Bunny and Larissa were at your club last night, so we're going to put all the checks through." <laughs> Did you ever go... Did you ever do stuff in Brooklyn? Did you ever get out of Manhattan? No. At that time, there wasn't... Uh, besides uh, Lamore, did you... You could, I mean, no one would go that far out that was coming to your stuff. No. Right? No. <laughs> it was just all... We ba- didn't even live in Brooklyn back no, then. No. God, no. It would be insane. How much did you guys... How much did you bounce around as far as where you lived? Um, Not very much. I mean, I, I, I bought a loft in Chelsea in 1990... And I stayed there until um, about 94, and then I moved to Riverbank West. Right. In New York, you pretty much, unless you buy something, you move every year because you're always looking for bigger or cheaper or better neighbor. Right. I think I moved every year for many years. When you came here, were you living, you went to Fordham, right? Yeah, I was living on campus. So you you were living in the dorm for Mm -hmm. a while? I hated it. And... They hated it. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. And um, we got, there was a big drama one night, and I had to get out of there very quickly because um, some, my, I lived in a quad, and I lived with a, a like a Archie Bunker bigot and an NOI um, uh, white hater <laughs> and a, 
uh, NOI being Nation of Islam. Yeah, uh, and uh, um, an exchange student from Puerto Rico who didn't speak English, and they all hated each other and me for various reasons. And wow. one day when I was at class, I was in theology, and when I came back, all my um, photo albums were opened, and somebody had written faggot on every uh, photograph, and it was it made me so upset. That's awful. That I uh, I opened up the of the lockers of. The three rooms. I took all their clothes and t- out, ripped all their clothes and broke their TV sets and just ev- smashed everything. And when they came back to the room, I was on the floor grieving. And I said, "We, my God, guys, look! The room has been ransacked. Look what they did to my photos." Oh my God! <laughs> and that so was had, that was I it after that. Yeah. <laughs> I can't. I we're not going to have anything for Gabriel. I'm just telling you. G- give it to me. Give it to. Send it to Natasha now. I have been asking Natasha. She would. She doesn't answer. I told her I need her and she's not answering. Um, do you tell her what it's about? Yes, of course. You know, I'm fascinated with old, with defunct clubs. With old and, and decrepit people. That's and, why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so, but, you know, obviously you're associated with some larger, from some of the more fabled rooms and the ones that Peter Gation owned too, but there's some that were, uh, that were, you know, just as important in New York. Just as important as Peter's clubs? Yeah, I think so. Uh, for people that have no, you know, there are people that have no idea who he is, um, that might be, that might be just picking up now on some of this, uh, history. Yeah. So, but I mean, with all these, this insane amount of flyers. Invitations. Invitations. <laughs> that, uh, I'm I'm seeing so many that are from different rooms. So the cooler, what 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 was, that was what was this one all that about? Was, uh, a night, that was an after-hour club. On, yes, it was on 14th Street. Yeah, and then what the um, uh, Beto had one that was very popular too, AMPM. Oh, AMPM, yeah. So what was your like? You obviously did a lot of after-hours. Uh, oh boy, stuff too clearly. And we that's did. That's a kind of. Uh, that's an uh, almost extinct thing in New York. Yes. It was kind of a racket we had because we um, made the After Hours Club pay us um, to go. And uh, if they didn't, um, not only would we not go, but nobody else would go. So we, we well, you would... bring the um, attendance with Well, kind of. But we... But yes, yes, we did. Um, but we, we But there were two or three kind of major main after hours clubs and usually two of them we were working at two of them at the same time so we would go to after hours and then after after hours um and then they would each pay us they would pay us each a hundred dollars so um me james balabolski and um who's the fourth one anyway there were four of us and we each got a hundred dollars at each club so we would just go collecting our money and it was really like the mafia like going to collect our our payola how long would you spend at each place um the first one, maybe an hour or two. Uh, Depends on how much fun it is. And how many drugs sure. there were, yeah. And those were all, those are, those lasted less than any normal uh, traditional club, obviously, yeah. too. Yeah. Um, what about shelter? Now, that was obviously a regular. Was, you <laughs> shelter know. was um, where area was. Right. So that came, that was following um, yeah. that. How, what was, how was your experience there? Cause that, it that, wasn't very fun. It, it, was, it was all legal. So there's nothing really exciting about right, it. Right, right. They didn't have, they didn't sell booze after hours or anything fun like that. And by this time, this is already like in the mid '90s too, right? Like, mm. oh, this was shelter in Chicago. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah, escape from New York. Yeah. So some of these, yeah, the it was, there was a limelight in Chicago as well, mm-hmm. right? So and how, Atlanta. 
how are those? Um, I love the line. The line of Chicago was beautiful. It was like a museum. Really? Um, yeah, with marble floors, and it's really, really beautiful. Was it, like, indicative of, like, the Chicago house kind of scene? Did it, did it embody that, no. or is it more <laughs> like what was... No, it did not, and that was the problem with it. It was um, not Chicago at all. It was very New York-y, and it had an attitude, and Chicagoans do not have attitudes, and they did not like it, and they did not go. Right. And they wanted to know who was this hoitsy-toitsy New Yorker coming in and with a doorman and picking people, and the doorman was even from New York. And oh, so, wow. it w- from right off the bat, it was like, who do they think they are? And we're not going. Did, when you were growing up, did you go to Chicago? Like, did you, was, did, was, did yeah. that inform you of, like, yeah, a bigger, was, yeah, it's the closest that. city to South Bend, right? So. Yeah, I went to Chicago all the time. Um, and, um... And I went to the limelight in Chicago. What was well, your well? But that was that was obviously yeah, yeah, afterwards. Yeah. But um, yeah, what what are your memories of Chicago just growing up? Because I mean, it's before you would could even saw like a nightclub or anything. Yeah, like that, I mean, right? that was where I went to see anything that was cool or what I thought was cool. Um, Did you go to concerts like no, when you were growing up? I'd never been. I went my first concert when I moved to New York. Depeche Mode, my first concert. Where was that? The Beacon. Um, oh, beautiful. Had you already gotten involved with danceateria and stuff? Is it still yeah. yours? Yeah. So yeah. you 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 pretty much like n- near the very beginning of being in New York, you found yourself in there. Yeah, the first few months that I was here, my um, my one of my friends, I only had two friends in college. Uh, one was um, a lesbian, and the other one was a prostitute. And um, he, the prostitute was dating. Oh God. <laughs> the prostitute who was dating Keith Haring, um, who at the time wasn't a really big artist, um, but he was kind of becoming a big artist. And um, uh, Keith would invite, would bring us to all these great parties. Um, and that's how I went to my first nightclub. He took me to Area with, um, really? with, with my friend and Grace Jones. And it was a really big deal. Um, and uh, what, what do you we, mean what, with your friend and Grace Jones? She was she was not in tow, was she? Or well, she was there. N- no, she was in tow. We we met her at his at at, at, at Keith's studio, and um, he painted her body um, in like squiggly colors and stuff, and we took her with us. And it was it was for like a fil- it was for a, they were filming it for some either documentary or something. They're getting footage for something. Um, and um, but it was supposed to look like it was just like that out. But um, but I didn't realize how uh, famous Keith was becoming until I went home for Christmas that year and I turned on MTV and I saw um, artwork done by him and they were talking about him and it was cool to me because I was just at a party with him and it made me kind of it legitimized everything I was doing and made me feel like I was on the right track. Mm. Tricked me to think I was on the right track. Right. <laughs> did you? Would you see him again? Oh yeah, some all the time. Um, was he, did he frequent? Yeah, and he um, he gave the, my friend uh, um, all like he he has like fifty original Keith Haring paintings and wow. um, and lithographs, all kinds of stuff for millions of dollars. That's incredible. You know, if I had to do it all over again, I would be a prostitute because all my friends who are prostitutes are really rich right now. Well, they eventually got hip and then evolved into 
they all inherited the money that was by the rich men that were taking care of them. They, when they'd been died, they left them all the money. When you a really good plan. Well, yeah, it, it, it's a plan. That's for yeah. sure. When you, it's funny when you went back and you sort of were out of New York and you watched it on the TV on MTV. I, I've always wondered too because this is obviously during a period of time <coughs> when MTV was becoming like this huge pop like mm-hmm. force. Were they at those? Were they at those? Were they at Disco Two Thousand? Were they at the clubs? Like well, these kind of things that you were doing. It wasn't MTV. Wasn't really cool. I mean, it was cool like in eighty two, eighty three, but um, by eighty forty five, it wasn't really cool anymore. But they did. They we, they were responsible for like supporting us in financially. Like, uh, did they M- did they sh- give you checks for parties? Like, they, did they paid fund? for they MTV alone paid. For, Supported Palladium when they did um, ha- what it was called. Oh yeah, MTV House of Style was it? Well, House of Style, yeah, that and was. Then, oh, Club MTV. Yes, that yeah. was at the Palladium. Yeah, right. and that alone, we didn't, we wouldn't have to even open the doors. We could just support, be supported on that. Um, and if it wasn't for MTV, they wouldn't have been able to support afford all, all of our fabulous right. parties. Well, those are gigantic rentals that they would you know rent yeah. the room for a night and, or a day and a night. Yeah, it was once a week. Oh wow! Really? Time, time, Judy Brown. So, what's the stuff that you? Um, how are things going now? Like, you got the show, um, which is pretty regular. That's like a weekly thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, tell me about it. Break it down a little bit for people that might not even be familiar with it. Um, outrage, you mean? Well, yeah, you got outrage and the and the and oh, the, the TV cute. show. Oh yeah. Um, well. Uh, Outrage is the party we it's a weekly party that we do every Monday at um two forty nine Eldridge and um it's a rumpus room and then the the pew is supposed to be a daily um web show but it's not exactly daily, it's close to daily. Right. It's like Project X was monthly. <laughs> um but um do you see a pattern emerging here, uh uh Jane? So how like I know that we're just going over a bunch of stuff, sort of, not in any kind of sequential order. And by looking at these flyers, too, it just... bring up Yeah, I know. That's so funny. I keep... Um, yeah, I mean, how do you, like... Ref, do you do you reflect back on this stuff, like, uh, as it was... Are you proud of these... All these gigs? And, like, I mean, it's such a wealth of... Of, uh, of work. I mean, a lot of... People might not necessarily... You know, un- understand the you know all the all the people involved in making these parties come together, and from the booking to the invites and creating them and conceptualizing all that stuff. Like now that you have it all sort of in front of you, how does that feel? I mean, I, I've had I've always had them in front of me. They were they went with me everywhere I went, and um, so I mean I I don't I'm not. I'm, I, they're so much a part of me that I don't even notice them anymore. Right. Um, but I mean, it, it, it is, it's just a part of me. It's like my, you know, my Lego collection or like all the other stuff that I have that's a part of me. I don't, I, I don't even really think about it that much. Do you think there'll be a day when you might be able to share all this like, well, artwork with people? I, yeah, I am making a book out of it, but also... I, what I would like to do is I would like to find somebody like Nelson Sullivan's estate just recently um, 
sold his video collection, like 8,000 videos, to NYU, and they're, um, they're uh, do- documenting everything and like uh, preserving it all. Oh, wow. And um, I would like to find something similar, maybe NYU, um, since they bought up all the real estate and got rid of all the nightclubs. Maybe this would be a fitting, um, they would be a fitting uh, uh, people to take care of this. But somebody I would like to like kind of like document it all and like yeah. preserve it. Um, and a college was probably, is probably the best. There you go. That was my conversation with Michael Alleg. Yes. Listen, I appreciate you guys checking it out and checking out the house list. It's my weekly podcast. And, you know, I'm, I come into these conversations because I know this isn't like some of my previous episodes, but in, in a way it is just like previous episodes in that as a journalist, I come into a conversation, um, with wanting to learn something and with this one in particular uh you know i wanted to learn and hear about certain aspects of new york city nightlife um that i was fascinated with and interested in i know that michael alec to some people may be a polarizing character um and i went into this fully being aware of that. I mean, how could you not? There's uh, much documentation. But there is also no disputing that he played a large role in that era of New York City nightlife. Um, from the Danceteria to Red Zone in area, but the Limelight Palladium, the Tunnel, um, Club USA amongst many others and i wanted to get a attempt to get a sense of that to get a taste of that and i think that we did and i'm glad to have done it but it also goes without saying that those clubs and those that period of time in new york city wouldn't be as memorable and legendary if it wasn't for a host of other people there's so many facets levels to it to the puzzle and i think i would be remiss to say that a lot of it has to do with the djs that were spinning in those places and i come from a musical background and i and i am and have been a touring dj and a club dj as well as a party promoter and a booking agent Uh, so i'm coming from it from a few different angles but i wanted to get to a certain uh, crux of a specific kind of story so i'm hoping that i accomplished that And just like those parties and those concerts and and so on and so forth, they wouldn't be sustained if it wasn't for people going there and buying tickets. And the audience, the people in the crowd that supported those those short lived clubs that um, for many have a lot of uh, invaluable uh, personal, you know, stock in. So. Yeah, I just wanted to kind of make an after note of this uh, conversation. So once again, if this is your first time tuning in, you can subscribe to the House List Podcast on iTunes. Um, it's also on SoundCloud. Uh, go to it. If you're listening to podcasts just on, a, on a regular desktop computer, go to uh, soundcloud.com backslash the House List Podcast. I'm also on Twitter at House List Pod. You can find it basically where you can find most regular podcasts 
Each and every episode is edited by my man CJ Stewart. My name again is Peter Agassin, the host and producer of the show. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I'll see you guys next episode.